loud praise to him, church. He is good, isn't he good? And it just feel good to, to worship God together and to dwell in his presence with him. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Today we're gonna continue our study that we're doing through the book of Psalms. We're taking this year and we're learning how to use the Psalms as a guide that's gonna help us when it comes to developing our prayer life as well. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Psalm 103. And I wanna to talk to you for just a minute before we take communion and then dive into our prayer points about what you do when you don't feel like praying. How many of you ever find yourself in a situation where you're like, I just don't really feel like doing that? Okay, part of being an adult is doing things you don't really wanna do. That's, that's how we develop disciplines, that's how we build responsibilities, and that's how, that's how we're able to live the life that we actually want to live. Because if you don't do things just because you don't feel like it, well, then you're not going to have money to pay your bills, right? You're not going to have a place to live. You're not going to have a job to wake up and go to. You may not have a relationship with a spouse or some friends because sometimes just the fact of life is that you have to do things that you often don't want to do. So I was thinking about it just before service began, and I was thinking about things that I don't really like doing, but I have to do them anyway. How about paying your taxes, right? All my, all my libertarians like, taxation is theft, right? But if you don't pay your taxes, guess what? You'll be doing ministry from inside of a prison, right? It would be prison ministry on the inside. I know you don't feel like it, but you have to do it. Another one is this, um, working out. Like some days I just don't really feel like working out. I'm stressed, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I'm busy, I ate too much food for lunch and I'm in a, like a food coma and I'm like, oh man, I gotta go to the gym now, I'm so tired. I don't feel like working out some days, but I still do it anyway because I'm gonna thank myself later for, for doing it today. Future me is gonna be happy that I decided to do that even though I didn't feel like it. Uh, another one is uh, my daughter Esther. Um, right now, she just started kindergarten, and she wakes up, and she's like, Daddy, do I have to go to school again today? And I'm like, yes, baby. She's like, oh, I go to school every day. And I'm like, get used to it, because you got another 10 years, <laughs> 15 if you go to college, you know? Or, but sometimes she doesn't feel like going to school, but in the future, what do we know as parents? Like, you're going to thank me for later for making you do things that you don't actually want to do. I mean, she hates taking a bath. She hates brushing her teeth. She hates eating her broccoli. She hates going to school. She's like, I don't feel like it. But I know as a parent what's best for her. And so I don't let her stay up till midnight, drink Mountain Dew, and run around like a crazy person because I know it's not good for her. And so as parents, we make our kids do things that they don't feel like doing either. How about, how about this one? Um, Honeydews around the house. All, all, all the ladies, right? You got some honeydew lists for your husband? What does it say? Oh, I'll get around to it later. When's later? Never, <laughs> right? But as, as men, right, we're just like, I don't feel like mowing the yard. Or sometimes you do. You're like, I just want to get away from her and just go mow the yard, put some headphones on and get some peace of quiet for myself. But we don't always feel like doing it. I think I got a kitchen cabinet that hasn't been reinstalled for three years because every day I ask you, hey, you want to do that? I'm like, no, not really. Um, but there's still things that we know around the house we have to do, like, like laundry, like chores, like housework, like, like maintenance work around. We don't feel like doing it, but we know that it's necessary for us to do. Or for, for Ashley, right? I was going to get Ashley, right? 
It's going to get a little, um, a little personal here. But actually, sometimes she's in the mood, and, and I'm just like, Ashley, right? And I'm just like, Ashley, I'm not a piece of meat. Let's just cuddle tonight. It's like, I'm not in the mood. We're just like, I'm not in the mood. Like, love me. You know, you know, all the guys like, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about, right? But here's what I do know is that, you know, just the right touch, just the right kiss, give it two minutes, and all of a sudden, the mood shifts, right? Sometimes you have to do things you don't really want to do, but that's how you keep the marriage alive. Or, or just simply eating healthy. You know, I don't feel like eating healthy. I don't feel like doing my meal prep. I don't feel like eating chicken and rice again every single day. But you know what? I do it even though I don't feel like doing it. You know, in life, there are just some things you have to do, you need to do, and you'll be grateful that you do it even if you don't feel like doing it. Well, what's true for us relationally, what's true for us physically is also true for us spiritually. Spiritually, we need to make ourselves pray even when we don't feel like praying. And that's what David is going to show us in Psalm chapter 103. He's going to teach us what to do when we don't feel like praying. Here's how he starts it off in Psalm 103 verse 1. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. What is he doing there? He is talking to himself. He is telling his soul what to do. In the moment that he's writing this, he doesn't feel like praying. He doesn't feel like worshiping. He doesn't feel like blessing the Lord. But what does he do anyway? He does it despite what his emotions, despite what his feelings are. David is actually writing this psalm after reflecting on a lot of things that have happened in his life. What do we know about David's life? We just did a study through the life of David, spent about 12 weeks learning about his life. We know that he's dodged spears. We know that he's been betrayed by his, by, by his friends. We know that he has been in battles. We know that he was neglected by his own family. He was out in the fields tending sheep when he was promised to be the king. You know, I bet there's some days when he was out in the fields where he didn't really feel like worshiping. I bet there were some days in those caves that he didn't really feel like worshiping. I bet there was days when he was dodging spears from King Saul that he didn't feel like praying. But what does he say here? He says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He is talking to himself. He is telling his soul. He is taking control of his soul. And even though he doesn't feel like it, he makes it a priority. He makes it important. And it's a precedent for his life. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And then here he says, with all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. What are some of the reasons in our own personal life that really get us down, that, that make us downcast, that make us not really want to pray? Here's what I know is that every single person in this room, we all agree that we could pray more. Anybody in the room like, no, I pray too much. I think I'm going to take a little break, right? No, we all, we all know that we should pray, we want to pray, but we also know that we don't pray as often as we should. And so when it comes to developing a, a healthy prayer life, oftentimes we struggle. And here's why I think that many of us struggle. It's because Satan hates it when you pray. And so he's going to throw everything at you to distract you, to condemn you, to defeat you, to prevent you from actually developing a healthy prayer life. Because here's what a prayer life does. A prayer life is where you say, I am not going to experience defeat in this situation. I'm going to invite God in this situation, and I'm going to start getting some victory. A little less of hell in my life and a little bit more of heaven in my life. I'm going to stop just bouncing against the walls, and I'm going to get some breakthrough in this situation. I'm going to bring God into the middle and into the midst, and I'm going to see him deliver me 
me. And so when you begin to pray, Satan hates it, and he's going to do anything that he can to stop you from praying, and he's going to do anything he can to stop a church from praying together. And so when you find yourself in that situation, what are some of the reasons that really hinder you when it comes to your prayer life? Some people, they struggle with guilt. They say, I can't pray today because what I did yesterday. You know, I don't feel like I can spend time with God because what happened over the weekend or, or the sins that I've committed or the addiction that I have, I, I can't go to God because my hands are too dirty. I don't feel worthy enough to go into the presence of God. And so guilt will keep you from developing a healthy prayer life, condemnation. Maybe you heard the sermon on Sunday, and instead of conviction that leads to life change, you have condemnation that prevents you from pursuing after the will of God for your life, and that condemnation can bind you and hinder your prayer life. Unbelief and doubts, it will block your prayers. Unbelief where you, you doubt God, you question God, you make accusations towards God, and when it comes to him moving in miraculous ways, you're skeptical about everything. It's going to block the power of prayer in your life. Another one is, is that you're maybe frustrated with your kids or you're fighting with your spouse. Maybe you're here right now at prayer night, and during worship, you're like, I just can't really get into it because me and my wife got into it in the parking lot, you know, and you're, you're wrestling with your kids, and you know, you're trying to find their shoes and get out the house. You're five minutes late. And so your brain is everywhere except for where it's supposed to be because you're distracted, because you are defeated, you feel depressed. Maybe there's disappointment that's happening. You prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen. And so now all of a sudden you're disappointed with God. You never thought that you're going to be in the situation you're at. You never believed that you're going to be in the season of life that you're in. And so when you survey the totality of your existence, you think I am disappointed with my station in life. And all of a sudden now you can no longer spend time focusing on God. What do you do in that moment? Here's what you do. You talk to yourself, right? You tell your soul what is real. You tell your soul what to do. You tell your soul, I'm going to bless the Lord. Despite what my emotions say, despite what my feelings say, despite what my circumstances may be, despite what's happening all around me, I am going to take control of my soul. I want you to know this. You are in control of your soul. Do you know that? See, one of the fruit of the Spirit is called self-control. So as the Spirit of God begins to work in your life, and the more time you spend with Him, the more self-control you're going to have. And then when those moments, those thoughts, and those feelings come up, you're able to take control of your soul. This is why the Bible talks about renewing your mind or taking every thought captive. You're not a slave to your thoughts. You're not a slave to your emotions. You are not a slave to your feelings. No, you can take control of your soul. He says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. You got to talk to your soul. Here's what David's basically saying. He said, come on, soul, catch up. Come on, soul, get in the game. Come on, soul, put your head on straight. Come on, soul. I mean, he's basically like leading his soul. Come here, come here, come here, soul. Come here, catch up, catch up with what I know is real. You got to talk to your soul. You got to take control over your soul. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And then he says, with all that is within me, how much? Not some, not most, not a little bit, but all that is within me. Do what? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, with all that I have. Right? When you're here tonight at First Wednesday prayer night, go all in. Don't hold anything back. Because here's what Jesus says. With the measure you use will be measured unto you. The one who has, more will be given. But the one who holds back, less 
Will he have? What he's saying is this. You get out of it what you put into it. You get out of your prayer life what you put into your prayer life. You get out of your relationship with God what you put into the relationship with God. You go all in. Tonight, when we're praying, go all in. Don't hold back. Don't be reserved. Because the more you invest, the greater the return on the investment. The more you pour out, the more God pours back into your life. Don't leave prayer night empty-handed. Don't leave church on Sunday empty-handed. With the measure you use, it will be measured back unto you. Give him all of your heart, all of your life, all of your soul. And as you give yourself to God, watch and see what God's going to give back to you in your life. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, with all that is within me. Bless the Lord. Here's what he says. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. This is very important for us, especially in the culture, in the society that we live in, where many people are, are, are thinking like, well, if something is hard, it must not be worth my time. If something is difficult, then it must not be for my benefit. If, something is, if something's a challenge for me, I don't like being challenged, and so if it's costing me my peace, then it's too expensive. And that's the society that we live in where we're led and we're guided by our emotions and our feelings rather than leading our emotions and our feelings submitted under the word of God. There's a quote from a man, his name is um, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a great preacher. He's one of the greatest theologians of the last century. And, And I just wanna read this quote to you from his book, Spiritual Depression. He says this, the main art of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself got to take control of your soul. It's a, it's a fruit of the spirit. He says, you have to take yourself by the hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You know, you can think things that are not true. You can create a false reality about your anxiety and your situation. And then you can actually create that false prophecy into a real prophecy because you've thought yourself into a pit and into a grave. He says this, you must take, you may say to your soul, soul, why are you downcast? What business have you being disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, exhort yourself, and save yourself. Put your hope in God instead of muttering in this depressed and unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself who God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. The essence of this matter is to understand that this self of ours, this man that is within us, he's got to learn to be handled. Do not listen to him, turn on him, speak to him, upbraid him, exhort him, encourage him, and remind him of what you know. Instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and to depress you. What he's saying is this, is that for us as believers, we need to spend less time processing and start spending more time praying. For many of us, what we do is we, we think about situations, we think about circumstances, we think about here's three steps that I can be three steps ahead of everybody else. We're too busy playing chess with the life that we're living and we're not actually spending time praying to God. We spend more time thinking about our problems than praying to God about our problems. We spend more time processing than we actually spend time praying. And so what we need to learn how to do is take control of our soul in those moments where you don't feel like it. That's when we need to begin to do it the most. We got to talk to our soul. We got to tell our soul what is real. And we have to submit our feelings to our faith. You know, the Bible doesn't say we walk by our feelings. It says we walk by our faith. Right, that we don't build our lives based upon our emotions. No, we build our lives based upon the, the word and the will and the ways of God. 
And so how do we do that in those moments where we find ourselves where we're like, I don't feel like praying. What, what do we do? Well, let me give you four things to do when you don't feel like praying. Number one is this. He says to remind yourself that God has forgiven you of your sins. Here's what he says in Psalm 103 too. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all of your iniquity. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. One of the reasons that people struggle with developing a healthy prayer life is because they dwell too much on their past. They dwell too much on their sins. And we think all the time rehearsing the hurts, rehearsing the past, reliving the past and the things that we have done. I just wanna say, if that's you, if you're struggling with that, I wanna let you know that Jesus has forgiven your sins. If the moment that you gave your life to him, the moment that you surrendered yourself to him, all of your sins were forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins were nailed to the cross. The blood of Jesus has washed you white as snow. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come, and he has cast your sins as far as where? From the east is to the west. God, he forgives you of your sins. The worst day of your life, forgiven. The biggest sin of your life forgiven he has forgiven you he has healed you he has redeemed you he has made you whole he has made you new and when you're having those thoughts of accusation those are not coming from God because God he does not accuse us he forgives us there is one accuser of the brethren his name is Satan and Jesus is the great mediator that stands between us and God declaring your forgiveness you are forgiven he loves you he forgives you and so if you, if you struggle with that, I just want to say, even though for those who have been a Christian for a long time and you still feel, you're like, I'm just a sinner. Can I just tell you how many times I hear people with terrible theology, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm a dirty worm. Right? Here, no, you're not. You were a sinner. Now the Bible refers to you as a saint. That your identity has changed. You've been transformed from darkness into light. You have been made whole. You've been made new. Listen, if you struggle with prayer because of your past sins, I want to let you know, you need to have better theology. You need to be soul. You need to read a book. Soul, you need, to, you need to listen to a sermon. Soul, you need to pick up your Bible. Soul, you need to get some better theology. And start talking to your soul. Because at the cross, all of your sin was placed upon Jesus and all of his righteousness was given to you. Therefore, now you have access that you can go before the throne room of God with boldness because the Bible says you are a royal priesthood in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is your identity. Remind yourself, God has forgiven me of my sins. Your sins have been forgiven. Listen, stop reminding God of things that he's already forgotten. You're like, but God, forgive me. He's like, I already did. You're like, God, I can't get past this. He's like, I've already given you breakthrough for that. Why don't you quit reminding me of things that I've already forgiven? I don't hold it against you. Don't hold it against yourself. You've been forgiven. Understand the forgiveness that you have because of what Jesus Christ has done. Stop reminding God in your prayer time of things that he's already forgiven you for. The second thing I'll, I'll say to this is remember that God understands your weaknesses. This one is just so beautiful. God understands. Here's what he says. 
Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and he is gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He understands how frail and fragile life is. He understands our weaknesses. He remembers that we are dust. And as for man in his days, they are like grass he flourishes like a flower in a field, for the wind passes over it and he's gone. And it places no one knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. I want you to understand something, that you don't have to pretend when you pray. When you're, when you're praying to God, you don't have to pretend like you got it all together. You don't have to pretend like you have all the answers. You can be honest with God about the weaknesses that you're feeling. And so you can actually go to God and say, God, I don't have the answers here. God, I don't know what's going on. God, I have, I have nothing. I don't know. There's no fight within me. God, I, I need you. you. You can go to God and you can admit the weakness. You know why you can do that? Because he already knows. Like you're not going to tell God something that he doesn't already know. God's not going to be like, oh my me, What? Mind blown. I didn't know you were struggling. I thought you had it all together because you pretend like you do on Facebook. Like you, you can be honest with God when it comes to your weaknesses, to the areas that you're struggling, to the temptations that you have. You can go to God and you, you don't have to act like you have it all together. One of the saddest conversations that I had was with a man who'd been in church all of his life and we were teaching over prayer and he came up to me afterwards. He's like, you mean whenever I pray to God, I, I can actually like be honest. I don't have to go to him and be like these thou's and thou shall nots and perfect theology. And I'm like, no, you don't. The Bible refers to God as, as a father. The way that I love my daughter right here is the way that God loves you. You know, she says all sorts of nonsense when she comes home from school. <laughs> and I love her anyway. You know, when you're praying to God, you can say all sorts of crazy stuff. God is big enough to handle the problems that you have. There's, he's been surveying. He created the universe and been surveying human history for thousands of years. There's nothing you can do that he ain't seen already. So you can be honest with God when it comes to your weakness. And here's what I want you to know is that God honors honest prayers. Yeah. See, what kind of prayers get God's attention? Honest ones. Yeah. Honest prayers get God's attention. When you're honest with him about your heart because he understands your weaknesses. This reminds me of the book of Hebrews where the author, he, he writes this. He says, since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, what? In our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus, he was tempted in every way just like us. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry. Jesus knows what it's like to be isolated and be tired. Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. Jesus knows what it's like to need some quiet time. Jesus knows what it's like to live the life that all of us lived in every single way, and yet he did so without sin, but he doesn't hold that against us. It's not like Jesus like, I did it. You can do it. Suck it up. Try harder next time. No, we go to him and receive mercy and we receive grace because he understands what it's like. He knows the human condition. He's not like other gods 
where we have to ascend to, to God-like status or we have to ascend to them through good works and good deeds. No, he's a God who humbles himself and becomes just like us in every single way. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, the prince of preachers. He says, a Jesus who never cried could never wipe away my tears. He identifies with us in our weakness. God understands, if you understand this, that you can go to God, you can pray honest prayers because God loves to listen to his kids and answer honest prayers. The third thing that I'll say is this, is remind yourself that God cares about your situation. Here's what he says in Psalm 103 too. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like that of eagles and the Lord works righteousness and justice for all those who are oppressed. I just turned 37, so that's my new life verse. Lord, restore my youth like that of eagles, right? Okay, all my prayer team people say amen. amen. God restores that youth. And here's what it is that God cares about your life. God cares about the things that you go through. God cares about what is important to you. I mean, look what he says. He says, I forgive your sins. I, I heal you of your iniquities. That whatever it is, maybe it's a, it's a, a physical healing that you might be going through. Maybe it's a, a relational healing, a reconciliation between a husband and wife, whatever it is. God cares about that. God is intimately involved in your life. There's nothing that you can go to him that's gonna be a bother. I hear people all the time, they say, well, like, I'm sure that God is busier handling other people's prayers than mine. I'm sure there's some kid, you know, who's got cancer. I'm sure there's some third world country. I know Ukraine probably needs more prayers than me. And so I don't wanna be a burden to God. You're not a burden to God because God cares about your situation. He cares about what you are going through. He cares about you. Listen, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. If, if it's on your mind, if it's, if it's weighing on your mind, if, if, it's, if, it's, if it's holding you down, if it's making your soul downcast, if it's burdening you, then God cares about that thing. It's not just like the big prayers that God likes to answer. No, God loves to listen to you. He loves to respond to you. He loves to care for you because God cares about your life. God cares about your situation. God cares about what you are going through. Remind yourself, no, God cares about me. Remind yourself, God loves me. That God listens to me. God is involved in my life. He's not some detached, deadbeat heavenly father that is a thousand light years away from us. No, he is closer than a friend. He's right there with you. He's, his presence never forsakes you, never abandons you. Whatever you're going through, he's right there with you through the whole thing. God cares about the situation that you find yourself in. So if it's a marriage situation, God cares about that. If it's a relationship situation, God cares about that. If it's something at work, God cares about that. If it's financial, God cares about that. If it's physical, God cares about that. If it's mental health or anxiety or depression, God cares about that. Whatever you go through, God cares about exactly where you are at. Because if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. He cares deeply about you. And then the last thing I'll say as we call the band forward is this, is remind yourself that God is worthy of your praise. You know, whatever you magnify in your life is what you glorify in your life. Whatever you focus on is eventually what you'll see. And so if you magnify your problems, guess what? Your problems get bigger. 
And as your problems get bigger, your view of God gets smaller. But if you take your eyes off of your problems and you begin to magnify your God, God gets bigger and your problems get smaller. Because whatever you magnify, you glorify in your life. And so many of us, we focus on the problems, we focus on the negative, we focus on our emotions, we focus on our feelings, we focus on the, the pain, we focus on the heartbreak and the disappointment, and we focus on the distractions in the everyday life, and we take our focus off of Jesus, and all we end up doing is magnifying our problems. That's why our soul needs to be led. You need to say, soul, take your eyes off your problems and put your eyes back on Jesus. Take your eyes off your situation put your eyes back on your savior. Take your eyes off of the pain. Put your eyes back upon the promise because whatever you magnify is what you glorify in your life. You need to talk to your soul and tell your soul that God is worthy of my praise. Look what he says here in Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne. Who's sovereign? Who rules? Who reigns? Who is supreme? God, he has established his throne and it is in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts and his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in his praise of all dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. How big is our God? I tell you, he's bigger than whatever you're going through in life. How big is our God? Well, he created the heavens and the earth, which means he exists outside of the universe. He is bigger than the universe. That's how big our God is. Our God is so big that he created stars and galaxies and he knows them by their name. Our God is so big that he created the heavens and the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Our God is so big that he made Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden, gave them dominion. Our God is so big that he dug the mountains with his fingertip. Our God is so big that he, he dug the Marianas Trench with just a speak of his word. That's how big our God is. Our God is so big that that he creates the universe and yet he loves you. Our God is so big that with just the breath, the creations came into existence, but he's humbled himself down to be born of a baby and that baby would grow up and live a perfect life without sin, die on the cross to forgive us of our sins and he resurrected in three days and he's coming back one day again to recreate the heavens and the earth and to give us a new resurrected body and the new kingdom that lasts forever and ever, amen. That's how big our God is. Our God God is so big. So how big do you think your problems are when you compare them to the God that we serve? That's how big our God is. Now listen, do you think that he needs your prayers? Do you think God needs your help? You think God's up in heaven going, if they don't pray to me, I'm going to lose all my power. Like he's Tinkerbell, like, come on, everybody, just believe, just believe, just believe. No, listen, like God doesn't need your prayers. You need to pray to him. See, prayer is not us bending God's will to ours. Prayer is God bending our will to his. Right? That's why prayer is so important. God doesn't need prayer. It's not out of some sort of obligation, but out of joyful delight to love his presence. We need prayer. We need it. Because so many times in our life, our souls are downcast. We need prayer because we have to take control of our souls. We need prayer because we have to be filled with the Spirit to have self-control. We need prayer because it's with prayer that keeps us connected to the Father. It's, it's prayer that develops 
the strength of the inner person. And so listen, here's the last line as we move into communion. I just want to tell you this. For those who struggle with prayer, maybe tonight you struggle with prayer. Maybe this week you've been struggling with prayer. Maybe it's your morning devotions. Maybe it's praying over your kids at night or in the carpool line before you drop them off. Maybe you're struggling with finding time to pray with your spouse before y'all go to work. Maybe you're just feeling with guilt and shame and condemnation. You feel like you're unworthy to pray and you have to just sit there and tell yourself, no, I'm going to pray. Why? Because when you don't feel like praying, that's when you need to pray the most. When you don't feel like worshiping God, that's when you need to worship him the most. For every person who had 10 million reasons to not come to prayer night tonight, I believe that as we pray tonight, what God is going to do is he is going to restore you. Because when you showed up tonight, what you did is you made a priority to be in the presence of God. And what the measure you use will be measured back unto you. You come here, you give it all, and God will give you more than you could handle. When you don't feel like praying, that's when you need it the most. Because sometimes it just means life is this. You have to do the things you don't really feel like doing. And that's a sign of real maturity. And you're here tonight, and so God will honor and God will bless you with that. When you don't feel like it, that's when you need it the most. Take control of your soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I don't feel like it. Don't matter. Do it anyway. With all that's within me, I will bless the Lord every day of my life. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me. Bless the Lord.